The following announcement has been paid for by Journey Into Wrestling. Things seem to be changing around here, and I'm talking podcasts, brother. Journey Into Comics Network and no JIW? Where's the wrestling? That's just it, bro. We're making a comeback. JIW has taken over. Butt stuff, podcastrophe, the poor rapport, all these new guys on the scene. We're about to show them what podcasting is all about, Chico. Why don't you tell them when they can hear us, Nate? Every other Wednesday, right here on the Journey Into Wrestling Network. Anything less is just too civilized. Following is a Journey to Comics Network production. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Poor Poor. I am your host, Andrew Poor, and this is episode 21. So thank you for listening. I know that show has been evolving over the past few weeks, and there's going to be more changes to come as we get into episode 25, which will be the official phase two of the Poor Report, which I'm really excited for you guys to see. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that's been coming together, so I'm very happy with how things are going. I know on last week's episode, for those of you who listened, I unveiled the Poor Four, which is a breakdown of four news topics I'm going to talk about in detail, which is great, and I talked about how I'm going to shoot for a running time of between 30 and 40 minutes, so I'll be getting to that shortly, but before I really get into that, the poor four segment of the show, I'd like to talk about something that I was a little apprehensive at first, and I've actually used it, and I'm actually pretty happy with it, I'm talking about MoviePass. Now, I know you, all those of you on Facebook, everything, you've probably seen ads or anything for MoviePass, which is the $9.95 a month, uh, and essentially unlimited movies. You can see one movie a day, every day of the month for nine ninety five. As long as it's like not an IMAX, not like a three D movie or one of those any of those special screenings. And I got it, and I tried it, and I like it. It's actually really convenient. I've used it twice so far, so it's already paid for itself. Thinking the average movie ticket price, if you're unless you're seeing on a matinee, you're paying twelve to fourteen bucks for a movie. So, seeing two movies already pays for itself. Really, one movie does. So, it's been nice. I have saw The Post and all the money in the world with it, and it worked out really well. Um, it's only been in AMC theaters, which has been fine. That's just what's closest to me. And the only downside, really, is that you don't get stubs rewards. At least, I haven't been able to get them. Because when they see the movie pass card, they don't make it eligible for stubs. You can still use it for concessions if you're doing that, but, yeah, it's... Like it, it makes sense. You can't really double dip. You can't pay a set amount and then get rewards back because then you can end up seeing like 30 movies in a month, build up 30 movies worth of stubs rewards, then use that for concessions or other things. So it, I can understand their point, but still, they're getting the same money from the movie pass. Like I may pay $10, but they're still paying the movie theater 12 or 14 for that specific showing. So that's the only downside I've run into. And it's happened one of the two times I've gone. When I played at uh, one AMC with, through the automatic kiosk, it gave me the rewards. When I paid in person at a different one, it did not. So I haven't played around with it at any other uh, non-AMC theater. So once I 
have the information I'll put on that, and I'm sure we'll delve into it on the other show that I'm on, which is Foodies Watching Movies, which build a seed next week. So that's exciting. Now, one thing I really liked, or what I was kind of apprehensive of, was like, it didn't make sense to me with MoviePass. It's that, how how is this setup feasible? How can you pay a set amount each month and get all these movies? Like, at that point, it's, it's cheaper to get MoviePass and watch all the movies you want than to rent a movie from Redbox, because you rent 10 movies over a month from Redbox, you're paying the same amount as MoviePass, or actually more, because I think they're like 150 for a DVD and like $2 for a Blu-ray per night. So, at that point, it's really better to see all the movies you'd want in theaters before they leave and have to rent it from a family video or a red box or something of that effect. So, I don't still don't know how it's feasible. I don't know how they make money unless there's just enough new memberships paying the $10 that it evens out, but I can't see how this is attainable. I know originally I think it was 50 bucks a month, which even then is still... It's not great, but if you're seeing more than three or four movies a month... It's still a pretty good deal. So, we'll kind of see how the rest of this shakes out. I'm going to keep using it until they change the offer or it goes out of business. So, I encourage all of my listeners out there to really check out MoviePass. You get, like, a little debit card, and it's, you don't give any, like, social security information or anything like that. So, there's nothing that really links it to you. It's basically like getting, like, a Visa gift card that's being replenished by their company. So, check it out. I know... Uh, Dick over on Podcaster, if he has one, I think Nate and Veronica are getting one or have it already. So it's working through, and I, I'm giving it two thumbs up. I really enjoy it, and I'll keep using it for the foreseeable future. I mean, the only downside is like if you're going with like a significant other or a friend, you can't really pre-order tickets it's all same day. So you can buy your ticket, but then you have to buy a different ticket, and if it's reserved, so you have to make sure the one next to you is going to be available. It's a little tricky, but if you're going to like one where there's not reserved seating, it works out. Pluses and minuses, it'd be nice to either have two people with movie pass and then do it at the same time, or have a pair, like maybe pay a little bit extra to have the ability to do two at a time. Like I would pay $25 a month for Unlimited for two people. I mean, that seems very reasonable, at least to me. I know you're paying more than if two people got it separately, but the ability to do two at a time from the app... Like, that would that would be a slam dunk for me. And I guess moving on to the poor four, which for this segment is going to be a lot about Trump. There's a lot of Trump news this week because we came across the anniversary of the inauguration. So there's a lot of news I want to talk about today with that. And I'm really going to kind of break it down into four main points. There's an article I came across when I was going through from BBC regarding Trump's first year in office, the good and the bad and the ugly of it. And some of the things, like, it talks about some of the good things he's done, some of the bad things he's done, some of the just the outright terrible. So, really getting into Trump, there's been a few things I didn't really realize or didn't notice, and I don't know if this is an embellishment or not, was that it looks like we have had 2.1 million jobs been created since last January. Uh, unemployment remains at 4.1%, a 17-year low in the United States. African-American unemployment is six at 6.8%, the lowest since statistics have been gathered for 45 years, which is awesome. Like, unemployment's never been below 7% in the African-American community. Uh, consumer business confidence is up, illegal immigration is down, and prospects for continued 3% GDP growth. So, looks like that's a good thing, but I don't know how many of that is directly related to Trump to president. I know what comes to happen a lot with presidents is that a lot of the initial effects of a new president's term is still residual from the last president's work because it doesn't nothing immediately changes. 
So this could still be a domino from the last year of Obama's presidency. So we'll kind of see how the rest of his term goes. Um, some of the bad things are Republicans in Washington, D.C. control uh, the White House and both points of Capitol Hill. The level of control is so dominant that Republicans have not a governing majority this large since 1921, 1929, sorry, which is pretty fantastic. And you'd think that with a majority in the House and the Senate and control in the White House that they would be able to repeal some of this stuff. But really, when it came to Obamacare, cutting tax, all that, it's not been as easy. Trump, despite being a very hands-on, very business, very negotiable, legislative, talking president... He's been largely hands-off in this legislative process, so it's allowed factions of GP lawmakers to bicker and openly fight, causing the party to unravel a little bit. So moving into the rest of this year with 2018, where there's elections, so uh, Democrats will need only 24 seats to flip control of the House, and 38 GP lawmakers have already announced their retirement ahead of this election November, so... 38 Republican seats are going to be up for grabs, including. So there's a chance to either fill it with another Republican or possibly Democrat. That doesn't count all of the other seats that are up this year. And with that, it becomes a lot more distinct possibility that we could, if the Democrats control either the House or the Senate, impeachment becomes more than a fever dream. It becomes a distinct possibility, even though it's a long shot with impeachment proceedings. Kind of getting down from the bad to the ugly... The way the president portrays himself, being the victim of fake news and the biased media, and he uses Twitter to be little real and perceived political opponents, and it's just really beneath the dignity of his office. I know during the shutdown, he posted a, a picture on the account with him in the Oval Office working. It's just him in a suit jacket, no tie, with a hat on. Just I think the hat really just doesn't belong. Like I feel like if you're in the Oval Office, there'd be no hats allowed. Hats, just, hats are meant for outdoors. They shouldn't be in the highest office in the U.S. It just seems a little ridiculous to me. And really his behavior and the, the talk of his mental fitness and all, it's just kind of crazy. There's the whole thing with residuals from last week when I talked about the shithole comments and uh, allegations of racism and disparaging for hate in other poor countries in Africa. And it's just, what is he even doing? But his supporters still love him. He maintained... The Trump supporters maintain his tough talk and social media use allow him to connect directly with his supporters and they like what he says. And it's really like Trump was elected to represent all 300 million Americans. That includes those who are black, brown, gay, Muslim, and transgender, but he seems to only be focusing on his base. The people who elected him, the the hardcore conservative Republicans, and he needs to be the president for all of us for however long he remains president. If he finishes the term, if he gets out to a second term, which would be quite an unfortunate circumstance, or if he gets out of office before that due to some reasoning. And it really just comes down to how we're going to view the future. 2018 is going to be a big election year. 2020 is going to be, he's obviously going to run again unless he chooses at that point to not, or if he's out of office before that. But we really got to figure out what's going to happen because I haven't seen any Democratic candidate anywhere in kind of position to stand up to Trump in 2020 if he's still there. So it'll be very interesting to see how the rest of this year shakes out and as we move into Trump's second year in office, which is not a sentence I think a lot of people thought we'd ever hear. And there's been some polls that have come out kind of judging Trump on his first year, and it's kind of surprising. Over at NPR, they asked a couple of questions and kind of judged it based on an overall 
broke it down to Democrats, Republicans, Independents. So it's kind of interesting. So there's a few questions here. It looks like just two. It says, overall, has Donald Trump met your expectations, exceeded your expectations, or fallen below your expectations as president? And it looks like... Overall, 45% of Americans believe he has fallen below their expectations. 71% of that is Democrats, 18% of that is Republicans, and 44% is Independents. Those who believe he met your expectations is 34%. 19 uh, of that is Democrats, 51% is Republicans, and 36% Independents. So, and then for exceeding, only 15% thinks he's exceeded their expectations. 4% of that is Democrats, 28% is Republicans, and 16% is Independents. And pretty much all the people that are unsure are around 6%, which people just have no idea what's going on. And then asking the question, overall, would you cite President Trump's first year in office as a success or as a failure? And how it breaks down is 15% overall think it was a major success. 25% says he was a success, 20% he was a, says he was a failure, 33% says he was a major failure, and 7% are unsure. And for the major failure, 62% of that was Democrats, 5% was Republicans, and 30% was Independents. So basically it seems to be a very political divide. So it looks like 62% of Republicans think he was a major failure, but 50% or 62% of Democrats think it was a major failure, and 50% of Republicans think he was a success. Looks like it's just more of the same. It looks like they're going to be very entrenched in the party line, at least until 2018, when one House or Senate, or even the highest office, could switch. And then there was a CNN article which gave his first-year report card. It kind of get ran over card. I'm just going to read this article to you because I find it kind of interesting, at least some of the grades they were given. It says, exercising presidential power, A-. It says, from the start, President Trump promised to flex the power of the presidency to get things done. He wouldn't be constrained by the obstacles that have stymied other presidents, other power centers, and longtime Washington norms so that he could achieve his goals. The good news for Trump is that he came into a pretty powerful office and expanded its impact. He has dismantled a huge number of economic and climate regulations put into place since the 1970s and used his Twitter bullhorn to promote an agenda of conservative populism that has thrilled his base. He has unleashed a frontal assault on immigration through increased arrests and raids by immigration and customs enforcement. Attempting to stop funding for sanctuary cities, the refugee ban, attempting to end DACA, and his legitimating nativist rhetoric that should not be uttered anywhere near the Oval Office in 2018. Although there's a major investigation underway of Russia's meddling in the 2016 election into whether there was a collusion with the Trump campaign, right now the Republican Congress has done very little in response to the Nixonian assertions of authority in going after the investigators and the journalists working on the issue. And kind of speaking on this is that when I saw the movie The Post, even though it's a period piece of really kind of developing around the Nixon administration, it's very much timely in how Trump is treating the media. So I encourage everyone who's be curious to watch the post. It's a very much a parallel story to kind of what we're dealing with right now. Now, moving on to legislating, they graded him a B minus. He says up until the end of the year, this would have been an easy F. For a Republican president whose party controlled Congress and whose party disagreed on very little when it came to policy. A wave of right-wing legislation akin to the sweeping changes of President Lyndon Johnson's great society should have been smooth sailing. But it wasn't. Trump's turbulent leadership style and the chaos that gripped Washington as a result of his leadership left the GOP fumbling the ball on health care and, and falling, failing to move any signature bills through most of the year. 
but he redeemed himself to some extent by pushing the massive corporate tax cut through, giving the party's wealthy donors a Christmas gift. It was a triumph, whatever the long-term effect of increase in the budget deficit and contributing to greater inequality. Trump has benefited in the short term from some major employers such as Apple, who have announced expansion plans, or others who have said they would give bonuses to workers. Of course, passing a corporate tax cut should be low-hanging fruit for Republican government, it is notable that even moderate Democrats said no to the bill. And the disastrous performance on handling the proposed budget and DACA deal in the past few days is a reminder that when it comes to Capitol Hill, President Trump is no Lyndon Johnson, which is definitely an understatement. Uh, coalition building is a C. So here President Trump is somewhere in the middle. Without question, he has done nothing to really expand the GOP. Despite his wins in some small con constituencies that went for Obama in 2008, much of what Trump has done to preserve the party status quo. He has been successful at elevating the hardline elements of the party whose principal base of power has been the House, without losing the support of many Republicans. Despite the complaining from people like Senator Bob Corker and Lindsey Graham, who quickly turn around to embrace him on the golf course or airplane, this is a measure of success given how reactionary so many of his pronouncements have been. That said, his approval rating suggests he has zero choice chance of expanding the Republican coalition, and if the polling trends continue, the party might suffer massive damage in the midterms which would be one thing that would cause everyone on the right to rethink their support. His success has also depended on a booming economy that leads many Republicans to remain quiet regardless of what he does. So it seems like no news is good news when it comes to that. Uh, America's standing in the world dropped to a D. Although there are many critics who would give him a whopping F, it is important to note that the president has made some big moves that have support. In Israel, for instance, an announcement about recognizing Jerusalem as the capital is met with strong approval, while it's been announced by many other nations. In the Philippines, he has also been met with strong applause, but most of the world is appalled. They see a president whose policies have been reckless and who has withdrawn from great alliances to feed the America First crowd. Whilst Twitter war with North Korea didn't start a war, they may just be because the world has been lucky so far. Moving on to moral leadership, that is an F. On this, the president has been a year failing the nation. Whatever party one belongs to, there should be no support for the kinds of statements that have come from this White House. The president should be a person who pushes the nation to live up to its highest ideals, not someone who drags our democracy down into the political mud. When an entire nation was discussing Trump's derogatory reference to Africa last week, it was hard to imagine that someone Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't shedding tears on this holiday meant to commemorate his work on civil rights. Trump has elevated the standing of racist and xenophobic organizations because of his words, and transformed the president into a reality show circus where anything is permissible and nothing is surprising anymore. He's introduced a style of presidential rhetoric that is more fitting for the professional wrestling ring at best than for the White House. His ongoing war on the truth will forever scar our national dialogue and create permanent space for those who disseminate politically loaded lies and conspiracy theories. He's laid on a very real precedent for all future presidents to act their very worst and to abandon all effort to serve as models of public behavior. I think that's the most powerful thing here, speaking of his moral leadership. He's really proven the fact that anyone can be president. I know, like, when you're a kid, say, oh, you can grow up to be president. But this person, Trump has proved that even being the worst individual and saying some things that five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, of a president, something like this, that would be political suicide. They would never recover some of these statements, and Trump has brushed it off. There was an SNL skit over the weekend that talked about does it even matter anymore, which was Jessica Jastain hosting a game show about things that Trump can do and if there's any effect of it. And everything came out that it doesn't even matter. They talked about punching the Pope in the face and sleeping with Don Jr. and stuff like that, like that would be easily brushed off by his base or by his 
adamant supporters or by extremely conservative Republicans. It would be, and that just proves that like that's kind of the world we're living in. Trump can literally say anything, and it does it. It just brushes it off. It's uh, I'm trying to think of the show. Oh, it's uh, if any of you watched the League, it was a show on FX. He's like Teflandre. Anything just comes out. Nothing will stick to him. He can just say what he wants, do what he wants, and somehow it works out, which is kind of ridiculous that we live in a world like this. And that kind of wraps up his first year. I know there are some things that are... And really kind of to cap off the year, Trump had his annual physical review, which what we take to the next topic here. So every president has a yearly physical just to make sure their physical and mental health are as good as can be. And Trump had his, and there was the report that came back, and it came out that the president's overall health is excellent, which was what Dr. Ronnie Jackson, the White House physician, said. They said there's no indication whatsoever that he has any cognitive issue. The doctor only recommended that Trump lose some weight, but said that the president is in excellent physical and mental health otherwise. And this Ronnie Jackson is not like it's someone that Trump brought in. He served Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama as well. And his recommendations include that Trump lose 10 to 15 pounds over the next year through alterations to his diet and exercise. Trump currently weighs 239 pounds and has a 6 foot 3 frame, which puts him just under the technical definition of obese, for, uh, registering for his body mass index or BMI. Which is kind of crazy that, looking at him, I don't see 239 pounds, I really don't even see 6 foot 3. I mean, there's a picture that circulates of Trump saying next to Barack Obama, and I think Barack Obama is 6'2", and Trump appeared shorter than him. I mean, it could have been an angle, but I don't believe that Trump is 6'3". I'm assuming they slightly adjusted his height to get him just under that BMI index. He could be 239 pounds. I mean, it could just depend on how you your body shows weight or fat, so it'd be kind of interesting to see. But he, I don't know. It seems a little far-fetched, and I think that being just under a level isn't, probably a coincidence. I'm sure that was some, there was some massaging to these numbers to make it seem better than it was. His doctor said he would benefit from a diet that is lower in fat and carbohydrates and a routine exercise regime. Doctor said he is more enthusiastic about the diet part than the exercise part, which doesn't surprise me from how you see Trump act, even though you think he could just get on an elliptical with his phone and tweet away while trying to get healthier. But that's all on him, and looks like they've tried to get the help of his wife. Uh, to keep him to the diet and workout plan. It looks like he might need Michelle Obama out there to kind of have him get up and go, or whatever her health initiative was called. Maybe move? I don't remember. Let's move, go move. I, I don't remember what it was, to be honest. And the article moves on to say that the spirit health evaluation are arguably particularly critical for Trump, who at age 71 is the oldest person ever elected president for a first term. News reports in recent weeks have also shed some light on Trump's dietary habits. He reportedly drinks 12 Diet Cokes a day and he regularly orders from McDonald's, according to Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury. In another new book by two former aides called Let Trump Be Trump, Trump is described ordering two Big Macs, two filet fish and a chocolate malted for one meal from McDonald's. On Trump Force One, there were four major food groups, McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Pizza, and Diet Coke, the author says. So his diet definitely probably needs some improvement. And then uh, Jack says that Trump sleeps four to five hours per night and takes Propecia for prevention of hair loss. Jack also addressed the incident in December when Trump appeared to slur his words during a speech. Trump did not wear any dentures, Jackson said, and the incident was likely a result of a dry mouth caused by Sudafed that the president had been taking. Seems to be a lot of covering for other reasons. So we'll kind of have to see how his next physical goes. 
I mean, Trump also did come out and said he's a very stable genius, which seems a little... If you have to say you're a very stable genius, I don't think you're a very stable genius. I think I've said this before, but I mentioned this article, and I think it's safe to say it again. So, the doctor says Trump's in excellent physical health. I don't know about excellent. I feel like being nearly obese or even obese requires some change. But I know they're representing the president. They have to present... A, ha- a healthy president represents a healthy country, and despite all the flaws, I know we need to put that foot forward, but I think they should be honest with the American people of the president's condition. If he's obese, say he's obese. If he's has some cognitive issues, say he has some cognitive issues. I don't think they can impeach about that, so I think they should just be honest. And really, that's what I have to say about Trump's first year and his health. And really, to top off his first year, we had something else interesting that kind of moves on to my next topic here, which is that on the eve of... Trump's anniversary of his inauguration, the deadline passed and the government officially shut down. They couldn't pass a new budget because they couldn't find middle ground regarding the DACA deal and all this stuff that Democrats put a strong stance against. So as of 12.01 a.m. Saturday morning, the government had been shut down. It looks like, as I'm recording this, looks like they may have voted to open government back up, so it looks like it may be opened back up by end of day Monday. And this hasn't even been the first time that we've had a government shutdown, but it's kind of major that this is the first government shutdown in modern history with a Republican-controlled House, Senate, and White House. I mean, this has happened since Carter, so it's kind of amazing that this can be pulled off. And I'm going to play this video for you that shows how Trump explained the shutdown and who should be responsible for it. And really it comes down... This is from a twenty from a 2011-23... This comes from older interviews, not while he was president, but while he was campaigning and up to that point. I'm going to play that for you here. Uh, the audio might not be great. I'm not able to get an MP3 to throw into the video. There is a shutdown. I think it would be a tremendously negative mark on the president of the United States. He's the one that has to get people together. I hear the Democrats are going to be blamed and the Republicans are going to be blamed. I actually think the president would be blamed. Well, if you say who gets fired, it always has to be the top. I mean, problems start from the top and they have to get solved from the top. And the president's the leader and he's got to get everybody in a room and he's got to leave. I heard Bader before I left say there's no way we're going to close up government. Well, that means the other side just won. Because if you don't have that at least threat, you can't do anything. You can't, and they got nothing. You got to say, we're going to close it, we're going to close it. You got to scare them. As far as keeping the government open, I think we want to keep the government open. Don't you agree? But you can't negotiate when your top person said, there's no way we close up government. Build that wall. Now, the obstructionist Democrats would like us not to do it, but believe me, we have to close down our government. We're building that wall. When the government, is, you know, they talk about the government shutdown, they're going to be talking about the president of the United States. Who was the president at that time? So I really think the pressure is on the president. The Democrats uh, are really looking at something that is very dangerous for our country. Uh, they are looking at shutting down. It's not really shutting down the government. It's cutting costs. The kind of money that you're talking about is peanuts. We have, of all, in the world, probably the dumbest leadership. That's why. It's very simple. Nobody has dumb leadership like us. I apologize that audio was poor. But I think it's kind of funny that Trump basically goes right out and says that we have a 
the dumbest leadership in this country. And it's kind of funny that it's like for everything that Trump says now, there's a conflicting statement that he probably said a few years ago or a tweet from two years ago or something. There's always a conflicting report. So it seems like once he's in power, the rules change. When he's out of power, the president's to blame. The president's responsible for the shutdown. And I even go forward to say like, even directly blame the Democrats in a audio recording for their voicemail for the White House. For anyone called the comment section, they got this voicemail, which I'm going to play for you right now. Thank you for calling the White House comment line. Thank you for calling the White House. Unfortunately, we cannot answer your call today because congressional Democrats are holding government funding, including funding for our troops and other national security priorities, hostage to an unrelated immigration debate. Due to this obstruction, the government is shut down. In the meantime, you can leave a comment for the president at www.whitehouse.gov forward slash contact. We look forward to taking your calls as soon as the government reopens. Now that's kind of ridiculous to me. He literally just blamed the Democrats for the shutdown when it's something that like, they even gave out and tried to throw in the military and the support for their families as a reason to defend your actions. And it's, it's just baffling that this is something that we have to deal with. And really kind of moving away from that, what we've seen from this government shutdown is that, really what we've seen from this shutdown is that it doesn't really affect too much. Like, national parks close, monuments close, they put a bunch of auxiliary employees on temporary leave, and usually these shutdowns only last a few days. A lot of the DC stuff probably closed up, but it's not anything major. And being essentially being shut down for the week, and it didn't really affect anything. I mean, some people just didn't come in on Monday, and we'll be back tomorrow. And that kind of moves away. I really don't want to talk about the shutdown anymore. I know it's it kind of comes down to blaming whose shutdown is this? Is this the president shutdown? Is this Schumer shutdown? Like Trump tends to be tweeting, and all the Republicans seem to be tweeting. Is this Mitch McConnell really to shut down? Is this a Paul Ryan related shutdown. Why is the reason for this? And I really think if the Republicans want to get deal passed, they would make concessions. And I think the Democrats want, would be willing to play ball. I think they need to come to middle ground and they shouldn't have left and they shouldn't have been paid and they shouldn't have all these privileges if the government shuts down. I think if the government goes to a shutdown, everyone in the House and Senate should be locked in until this shutdown is over, until they make an agreement. There's no backroom dealings. It's all right there on the floor of the House and Senate to get this solved. And they shouldn't be paid until it's done. If the government shut down for a week, they better be in there 24 hours a day for that whole week trying to solve that problem. I think that would really solve a bunch of stuff because some people are so entrenched in their party and how they view their own rules that they don't think they can concede and they'll fight over the little things instead of the big things that actually matter. Things that maybe appeal to their base or things that maybe think they'll make the president happy instead of doing what's right for the Americans who actually elected them and put those in those positions. So that's kind of my view on this shutdown. Ultimately, it's the president's fault, but really it's everyone involved's fault. It's a little Schumer's fault, it's a little Ryan's fault, it's a little McConnell's fault, but it's mainly the president's fault. If the president wasn't such a stickler and put the fear of these Republicans that anything that's not done will face his wrath, then maybe they'd be willing to negotiate, and I think it's kind of ridiculous. And I'm really hoping in 2018 we see some houses flipped and some majorities flipped and some we see a Democrat-controlled Senate or House or something that would cause more upheaval and more problems, but I think it would lead to more constructive work being done. And I think the president with less power could maybe calm him down. It's either going to 
don't know if it's going to be like when you back some an animal into a corner, it's more likely to attack, or if it succumbs and submits to the way things need to be. So we'll kind of have to interesting to see how this shakes out in the future. And kind of moving away from the news, the last thing I want to talk about is something that Nate from Journey to Comics and the Podfather himself from the network showed me over the weekend. It was a Reddit article regarding the strongest president. So thinking how Trump compared and how all 45 presidents compared to this, and it really came down to basically who was crazier. Was it Teddy Roosevelt or was it Andrew Jackson? And you've seen stories about Teddy Roosevelt, how he was giving a speech and he got shot in the chest and kept giving his speech or how Andrew Jackson, like both of them got really got in fights and doing all this damage. And it really seems like every president would be just utterly destroyed except for Andrew Jackson, Teddy Roosevelt, who may have a fight to the death at the end. And I don't know if Trump or any recent president would even be on the board. I think they would... I mean, maybe Obama is fairly active, very fit president. He might last a little bit compared to some of the ones like Trump or Taft or FDR really doesn't have much of a chance, I would imagine. Kennedy had the back problems. I think everyone at the fit of their presidency, I think yeah, you'd end up with Teddy Roosevelt and Andrew Jackson just in a death match at the end. And actually kind of stumbled upon the Reddit article talking about the George Washington song, which is like, very old video I remember watching probably in the early 2000s which is kind of goes like Washington Washington six foot eight weighs a fucking ton or something like that they basically put him on this giant pedestal and made him just a monster he's like he'll save the children but not the British children and it's a very funny video I think if you just look up Washington song you'll stomach on it it's a very crudely animated uh, video on YouTube and it basically comes down to like the fitness of the president, where we think the rest of this year is going. We've saw one year of Trump so far. We're just past that milestone, and we have to decide if we did survive the first year, which is good, but where do we see the rest of this going? I know the Mueller investigation is still going on. They picked up Bannon, who's may bring some, may bring more information, so we're going to have to kind of see how that shakes out, if that culminates this year, or how long this investigation is going to take, but... I'll be here reporting it. But in the meantime, I want to thank you all for listening to the Poor Four segment. I really want to generally thank all of my listeners on the show. This show's been an evolution since the new year, and I'm hoping to take this as the weeks keep going on into 25 and unveil the new stuff I want to do for the show. And I hope the Poor Four segment is everyone's enjoying that. And I'm definitely going to go in-depth more as the award show come out. I didn't really get a chance to talk about the SAG Awards last night or... Uh, two nights ago as you're listening to this but i will talk about it on foodies and i'm going to probably talk about it on next week's show because as this episode drops there'll also be the oscar nominations and i'm planning to see all of the oscar nominated films in february which will be an amazing experience i'll be talking about those on the show as we go through it because most i'll do it through the amc so i'll see potentially up to five each or five each week so i'll just be talking about those on future episodes and Really going to see in 25 where the show's going to take. and But yeah, that's really it for this week. Um, so basically, for kind of in summary, looks like you would never want to cross Andrew Jackson or Teddy Roosevelt in a fight. The government shutdown is over, as presumably as of now while I'm recording. Lasted three days, or just about three days. Uh, Trump is kind of in excellent health, quote-unquote excellent uh, he's borderline obese. I think there's 
some fudging of numbers in there, and he has a very rough diet and no exercise regime, and that's kind of apparently excellent now, which means I'm probably in freaking fantastic health. And Trump had an interesting first year in office, but the world didn't blow up, so that's at least one good thing about this past year. And really, that's it for the show, so I'll check out... All the other shows on the network. Every day of the week, there's a new show. If you want to get a taste of what's on the network, you can listen to the best of segments. We've been running those for a couple months now. So you can listen to Backlog without feeling like there's an overly abundance of content to have to work through. And if you like a certain show, you can go back and listen to their current episode and work through their backlog and do what you want. We also have Patreon-exclusive content that you can get to by going to patreon.com slash journey into comics uh we're doing the big journey or road to infinity war so you can check out all that there's reviews for every mcu movie i know last week my cap review dropped and i'm trying to think what comes out this week but uh yeah definitely a lot of stuff coming down the pipe so check out what's going on thanks again for listening you'll see a new episode next week and as always just keep learning as nate would say keep filling your brains with shit and i like that segment but Got to do your research there. Don't take a Facebook post or a Twitter post or a random headline as gospel, as undeniable fact. You got to do your due diligence and keep researching and keep striving for new information. Well, that's it for me. Uh, I am Andrew Poor. This is The Poor Report, and I'll check with you next week on episode 22. And I'm actually going to might have some a guest on that episode, so stay tuned for that.